Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 11 verses 4 through 6. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, instructive, unfolding the meaning of faith in this word, to the glory of his name. Amen. Father, help us hold these two things in balance of thinking, reading well what's here, and evaluating our lives and our hearts and our walk by the mercy sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. So where I'm going to end up, the end in the application is that this text has everything to do with each of our lives, how we daily walk and live in this world and part of that walk every week in our lives is as God's people formally worshiping meeting together to offer up praise and sacrifice in our lives and it is about doing both of those things by So, here we are, again, in Hebrews 11, which we all know, Hebrews 11, what it does throughout this long chapter is it gives examples of faith. And the reason is so that we would look at those believers and imitate, copy their faith. If that's the way... To walk. This is what the Hebrew writer meant back in 
chapter 6, verses 11 to 12, when he said this, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but that you would be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And remember the connection now with chapter 11 to chapter 10. That transition, the last verse in chapter 10, he just said in verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so his plea now is to understand what saving faith is and examine this faith in the lives of those who lived by faith. Now, especially the Old Testament saints as models. Look at them and imitate them. Now, just real briefly, notice we spent two weeks in verses 1 to 3, but I want you to notice what he dropped into verse 2, this comment. For by it, the faith, the people of old received their commendation. God commended them. By their faith, in other words, what he is saying is, by their faith, they gained approval. Approval of God. By it, by this kind of faith, he unfolds in 1 to 3. The men of old, now literally, this is how it should be translated. The men of old were attested. That is, they were witnessed. Same word for witness. They were witnessed. By whom? By God. That's why God was pleased. So, the lives of the Old Testament believers are illustrations of this kind of faith. The faith that he lays out in 1 to 3. And so, the first two illustrations that he gives to us in Hebrews 11 are Abel and Enoch. Abel is the second son of Adam and Eve. Eve I mean, Enoch is seven generations from Adam before the flood. And then he says this in verse 4, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible because it is more literal and I want it to come out. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which sacrifice he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God 
testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So notice that the author's flow. I want you to see that in the original, in the Greek, it's the same word that we just saw in verse 2. He uses it three times in verse 2 and two times here in verse 4. In verse 2, the men of old gained approval, or they were witnessed or testified to by God. Then verse 4, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, through which, that which faith offering here that he gave, he, Abel, obtained a witness, God's witness, a testimony. The testimony that what? That he was righteous. And then again, God, quote, testifying, same word, about his gifts. So the writer's focus with Abel is that God approved his offering. And in that, you can see it, God counted Abel righteous. The means by which Abel obtained God's approval that he was righteous was that he gave his offering by faith. From the beginning of Genesis, it is not just what we do. It's how we do it. It's what we do connected to what's going on in our hearts. Are our actions expressing what he's just laid out? Are they coming from the substance, the assurance of things that are hoped for? Okay, then... In verse 5, he gives Enoch as an example of one of the men of old who gained approval by their faith. Again, I'm going to read from the New American, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For, or because, he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. For he obtained the witness. It's the same word again as in verse 2 and in verse 4. And as Moses records in the book of Genesis, Enoch pleased God by walking with God in Genesis 5. His walking with God was his faith 
living itself out. And that faith is what God testifies to. And here's his testimony. I, God, am pleased with that. That's what he says. So let's, let's think about what the author is doing here in Hebrews. He's chosen two Old Testament believers in order to illustrate that faith is the way to gain God's approval. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 6, because that's exactly what it says. But first, let's get the flow into verse 6 with verse 5. The logic, and there's logic that the writer is using. In verse 5, it's short. He says, By faith, Enoch was taken up. How does he know? How does he know it was by faith? It does not use the word faith in the Genesis account. It's a very short account, and that's it. So how does he know? His answer is because he pleased God. That's how he knows. The writer reasons that if God was pleased with Enoch, then it has to mean that Enoch had a heart of faith. He had an assurance of God's goodness to him. Not just that he existed, but that he was good and he walked with him. And so, because that's what the writer has just said, he believes it, he says simply in verse 6, here's a statement. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's why he sees faith in the lives of Abel and Enoch. God testifies his approval of those who please him. And so he concludes that these two men must have had hearts of faith because without faith it is impossible to please him. Do you see his logic? Let me do it one more time. Here's the syllogism that he's got in his head. Logical syllogism. Premise, premise, conclusion. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Enoch pleased God. Conclusion has to be Enoch had faith. See it? Okay. Now, here's the big question. Where does the writer to the Hebrews get his premise? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He didn't argue for it. He just states it. 
Is it true? Because see, in logic, if a premise is wrong, even though your conclusion is logical, it would mean that your logic is built on a false premise. And though your argument is valid, it doesn't mean the conclusion is true. For instance, here's a little simple logical syllogism. All men are blue. Secondly, Bill is a man. Conclusion, logical conclusion. Bill is blue. Okay, it's logical. It is a valid argument. Doesn't mean it's true, though, because if the premise is wrong, if all men are not blue, then it may not be actually true that the man Bill is blue. So where does he get the premise? Here it goes. It is impossible to please God without faith. The answer that he gives to us is the second part of verse 6. So in the beginning, here's a statement. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Then he gives the foundation for why that's true. That's what the word for is there for. For or because whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and must believe that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, that's as far as he takes us. Faith believes God exists, and faith believes God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Because faith is these two things. Here's just what He's telling us in the text. Because faith consists of those two things, therefore it pleases God. And that's all he gives us. Still doesn't, doesn't say why these two responses please him. And I think the reason is because to the writer and to us, his point is this, it's axiomatic. It should be a self-evident truth that if we contemplate the nature of God, then the fact that these two aspects in the human heart please God is obvious. That's where I think he's coming from. In other words, you don't argue for two plus two equals four. It's called an axiom. It's, in other words, an axiom is a self-evident truth. You say it. What? Just let me say it again. Two plus two is four. Now, just go contemplate that, and then and the light's going to go on. That it is, and it always is, and it can be nothing other than that. 
That's what I think he thinks about God. In other words, God is the eternal, self-sufficient, overflowing fountain of absolute and pure joy. And therefore, it belongs to God's very nature that these two responses, you do exist and you reward all who seek you, that pleases God. In other words, God is pleased when in response to who He actually is, in response to His self-revelation, and in response to His promises of what He will be for us, the creature, when those two realities come alive and are reflected in the human heart, that, by definition, pleases God. Not, yes, I believe in God. Yes, God exists. But, wow! God exists! And you, Father, by your, by your nature, you actually delight in your great joy to overflow to all who want you to overflow your rewards to them. And that reality is seen. Whether you're walking with God like Enoch, or you're on this side of the cross and you hear Jesus' words, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and here's the promise of reward, and I will give you rest for your souls. That's the faith he's describing. God is. He exists absolutely. He did not come into being, and He will never cease to be. He is the essence of being. He is never growing or developing or maturing or becoming. That's why He said to Moses, I am who I am. And off of that verb is his name, Yahweh, built. And therefore, God, by the very nature of his existence, he is pleased when that absolute being, which is himself, he's pleased when it is known and cherished. And thus, in the creature, reflected back to Him. God's eternal self-existence means He is needless. It means He 
is fully contented, satisfied in himself. As the Father for all eternity has delighted in all the divine beauty and perfections and knowledge, power and holiness in the face of his Son. And the Son delighting fully in all the joy of the perfections of the divine Godhead in the face of the Father. And that eternal, unbounded joy and contentment has always been personified in the person of the Holy Spirit of the unity of God. must believe he exists. And this leads to the second aspect of faith. Faith that pleases God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and something else. And that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, the reality behind this is that the eternal God is in fact so completely happy and self-sufficient he overflows the eternal joy that he is and he has in himself to the creature. He is the only self-existent, never-ending, bottomless spring of pure being, and pure joy, and pure life, and pure beauty and power. Just think about it. God's glory is His eternal happiness in Himself as the Holy Trinity. And that glory, His contentment, beauty, perfection, eternal happiness, joy, that glory, when it's reflected back to him in the hearts of people is pleasing to him because his glory is pleasing to him. To say it this way, therefore, his glory extended in creation off the human heart is pleasing to him. Therefore, to glorify God by biblical faith, you must draw near to Him, not to give Him something He needs. Doesn't need a thing. But you must draw near to Him to get from Him something you are desperate for. 
And on this side of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, that is first forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ. That's not the goal, though. It's the means. The forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ so that you are welcomed into the presence of God to enjoy the reward of God's presence being your joy. Okay. So the writer, he just a matter-of-factly asserts, this is what faith is. He's saying, Given the absolute reality of God's being and thus His eternal fullness, this is what faith has to be. Two plus two equals four. And so he says to us now, look at Abel. Look at Enoch. This is what was going on in their lives. This is why they were pleasing to God. And therefore, if we are to have our faith grow and to grow stronger to, as he writes at the end of chapter 10, to the preserving of our souls, then we need to actively pursue knowing the one true God in Scripture ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ, but not just knowing, cherishing what we see, loving what we get a glimpse of. We need to pursue the God of Scripture for the purpose of getting the reward of Him constantly meeting our real need through Jesus Christ our Lord and our high priest who right now intercedes for us okay back to where I started then let's think about the implications then of what we've seen in our text for how we are to go to work and come home and be a single, and be married, and be a parent, and be a grandparent, and be a church member, and how we live our lives, how we walk with God like Enoch. And also during those weeks, how we go to the house of the Lord, or however you want to put it, like Abel, and we offer formal, Worship. God's reward is not, as we look at this, notice, it is not for everyone. But it is for those who seek Him. This is the way the writer defines a Christian. Those who in their daily life, in good times and in bad times, seek the presence and the knowledge of God. 
And so first, this impacts why we sing, what we're supposed to be doing while we sing, or give your offerings, all that we offer and do, like Abel. Here's what the writer to the Hebrews is looking at from Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground because Cain was a farmer of vegetables. That's why. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions because he was a farmer of livestock. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so, the Hebrew writer, he chooses to only bring out this point. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He's a lesson book. In other words, this was a form of worship. We have forms of worship as Christians. We do every Sunday here. This was a form of worship going on with both Cain and Abel. One was accepted and the other was rejected. Now I know that some say, well the reason Cain's was rejected is because there was no blood sacrifice for the atonement. It was just vegetables. Abel had to kill an animal and blood was shed. And that's why it's pleasing. I don't think it is at all what Genesis means. Nor, and clearly nor, is it the way the Hebrew writer understands it in Hebrews 11. Because the only Clear reason that is given in Scripture for Abel's sacrifice being accepted is that he offered his worship by faith. That is, Abel was born again. It's the only way that could possibly happen. He's post-fall like us. Born into sin. Dead in his trespasses and sins. 
in which He once walked. Who knows when, but God regenerated him by the Spirit, and thus Abel had a heart for God. God was his joy. He was his reward. But Cain's heart was unregenerate. Cain's heart was not there at all. What's going on? is a heart issue. And the difference between Cain and Abel. You remember how Jesus said it in quoting Isaiah to formal worshipers, His fellow Jews, so many of them did religion. And He said, this People honors me with their lips, their form, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Which means it's been true for the last 2,000 years of church history. We can have the most beautiful architectural buildings. We could have a 20-piece band with every instrument imaginable. With five backup singers. And sing theologically robust, accurate, biblical hymns and choruses. And all of it be in vain. Because it's unacceptable to God. If it is not an expression of faith. Because whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. And believe. He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That expression of, of offering the first fruits of our flock or paychecks or the fruit of our lips in singing is to always be the motive of our offering, of our singing, of our praying, of our working. That's why Jesus said, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The truth there, it refers to God's revelation in the Scripture. It is not enough to be sincere, and to have emotions during praise and worship in itself. We must be worshiping the God who has revealed Himself in Holy Scripture. And then on the other hand, we can sing all the right words of truth. 
but it would be in vain if our hearts of faith are not engaged with the God of that truth. Abel pleased God. His giving of his hard earned labor in killing the animal and offering was because he was so happy to know God exists and that he is a rewarder of Abel's who seeks him. And then the story of Enoch, it shows that this faith, it affects our daily walk with God. How you live your life. This is the short little story the author to Hebrews is looking at in Genesis chapter 5. Verses 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 more years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So our text says, Hebrews, that this daily hanging out with, trusting, walking with God that Enoch did was a walk of faith, of trust, of an assurance of God's goodwill to him. And so he pleased God by that walk of faith. And today, even this day, believers through the Lord Jesus Christ take hold of that example, the example of Enoch, and they say stuff like the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live, I walk by faith in the Son of God who loved me. That's right. He knew the reward. Loved me and gave himself for me. So, let us go on, sovereign grace, and walk like Enoch and worship like Abel. Walk in worship in the reality that God is and that his greatest desire is to be all of that which we actually need
down here. So that we could say, along with the psalmist in Psalm 73, Father, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Father, may we be those who go on as a pleasing aroma of incense in your nostrils. The incense of faith and trust and communion, knowing, believing, as we even sung this morning in your sovereign will, which is so sweet at times and other times bitter, that we bank everything on you in your promises. Let's stand and offer up in faith the fruit of our lips.